culture, open marriages, and the coronavirus. All this and more on The Crepe Show. Wow. It has been a very busy last two weeks since I have last uh, kind of came to you uh, like this. For those of you who do not get to see my beautiful, shining face every day. If uh, my voice is still not fully back yet, I lost it over the past week. And I really don't know how. Uh, we had, you know, my swimming national championships, and I typically don't lose my voice a whole lot, and I wasn't sick or anything. I don't think I was. I guess I could uh, have something, just don't, not really know at the moment, but my voice is still a little scraggly, so I hope you uh, deal with that. Wow, I really need to cut back on the marboils, but we'll get right into the uh, vast amount of information that I have for you today while I am very excited to discuss some of the topics that we will go through today. All right, so first off, um, I finished up my 14-year swimming career uh, this past week. It wasn't honestly the way that I wanted to finish. I didn't have that great of a uh, national championships, but, uh, you know, kind of summing it up, I enjoyed the process, the 14 years that I've been involved in the sport and, you know, continuing on hopefully in a different capacity. I do not regret a single thing that I did. And, you know, everything comes to an end. And if you listen to the uh, show that I had on leap day, uh, I kind of hit on this a little bit, but the question is how you deal with the end. We really don't discuss it a whole lot, but the question is how do you deal with a change? All good things come to an end. Where do you go from there? And that's something that I will uh, participate in, trying to figure that out. I have a pretty good idea, I think, of what I want to do next. And, you know, this is one of the uh, ways that I want to spend some of my extra free time nowadays. Hopefully, I'll try to make this show a little bit more entertaining, maybe a little bit more uh, intellectually developed. I'm not just here spewing out random bits of information. Maybe, just maybe someday. I'll be able to formulate actual legitimate responses uh, to these issues, to the news that we talk about on a weekly basis. Getting right into the news for the past couple of weeks, I guess, what, a week and a half? Wow. After last night, Super Tuesday Part 2, I really feel, feel sorry for Bernie. The path towards his victory in the Democratic primary is pretty much gone at this point. Losing Michigan really put the nail in the coffin. I will not officially say, though, he's out because I have had my opinion he would win for well over a year now. You uh, listeners who have been listening since day one know that. I've hit on it many times. Um, we'll see how next week goes, I guess. You, you know that Trump wasn't supposed to win. In 16, he came through. Not saying that's what's going to happen here. Um, but Bernie is backing himself into a corner. And actually at the time of filming this, or filming this, uh, recording this at around 3.50 central time on this fine March 11th Wednesday hump day, uh, Bernie Sanders got done about two hours ago with a press conference saying that he will still move forward. He is not ready to quit. He is not ready to throw in the towel yet for Joe Biden. So my, my show from Leap Day was a success. It was a huge success. It, it had over three times the amount of listens that any of my other shows had up until this point. I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty pumped. I hope you can hear it in my voice. It uh I know that you know you don't really come on this show for my take on things. Uh 
looking moving forward, I guess I do kind of see now that maybe, you know, I need to shut up more and get more people involved on the show. So I will try to do that moving forward. It just kind of depends on what's available, but I do love talking and I love talking with one of my good buddies, Jesse. Uh, I'm trying to schedule something actually for a few weeks from now, kind of taking my a step away from politics maybe, but we will see where that endeavor leads me. And I'm sure you'll be surprised if you see an extra episode in the next few weeks pop up randomly. All right, so something that I, I hope you have spent some time listening to that hour and 43 minutes, I think, of the Leap Day episode that uh, Jesse and I put together. It went honestly over double the amount of time I thought it would. I expected to be, you know, <coughs> pardon me, I expected for it to maybe take an hour tops, 45 minutes, you know, typically, with, which is how long my usual show is, but it did take well over an hour and a half we kind of looked at each other and we're like wow my throat is scratchy uh, but it was a lot of fun i would love to do that again and i want to uh at least get one more of those shows in with him before excuse me i gotta take a little, a little sip before the uh summer ends or i guess summer ends <laughs> summer starts all right but we talked briefly about many uh vast array, array of subjects but one thing that uh he he mentioned and I don't have a clip of it, but you can go back and listen to, is he mentioned briefly about how a lot of conservatives talk about this culture war. Um, and, and that uh, he kind of made the assumption, I'm not like trying to you know, throw shade or anything, but you know, he, he it, it really grabbed my attention because I really never thought about it in the way that he brought it about. But wh- why is culture important? Why, why do conservatives talk about culture? so much why is that a lot of what i talk about on this show even today specifically stuff about really you know culture versus straight on politics um and to me that's simply because politics is downstream of culture i believe in that the uh the the debate between whether politics is downstream of culture or that culture is downstream of politics i think i'm saying it correctly Uh, i'll explain a little bit more um but culture is the most important aspect of our lives. How our culture reacts to certain movements, ideas, and situations can have a huge impact on every other aspect of society. Uh, and I think it's kind of interesting to look at, you know, when there's different spikes in this culture battle that I think is always prevalent in every culture. There's always going to be countercultures, people going against the norms, uh, different beliefs. That's what makes uh, society so great. Um, but I do believe we are in a culture war at the moment. Um, even, you know, five, ten years ago, I think was when it really started to, uh, we are, uh, we started to see that, my bad. Uh, and I think one example of that is when the Tea Party movement, you know, in 2009, 2010, really started to take effect with a lot of conservatives in politics. Is I think we can kind of see that as the... Uh, early signs that there would be this culture war and I think 2016 and ultimately 2020 are going to be two big decisions in our culture of where our culture is headed to um, and you know I, I hate always blowing up and saying oh this this is the most important election in our lifetime I'm not saying that I just think that you know looking throughout the last hundred years or so you can see uh, the time period that we're in I would say the 70s and I would also throw in the 1920s. Uh, these, you know, and it's kind of interesting that it's, you know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, uh, today, you know. Uh, I don't know if it correlates even further to back than that. 
um, at the moment. But I think it is interesting to see that, you know, every 50 years or so within the last 100 years, there's been a pretty big culture shock. There's been a lot of countercultural movements and differencing of opinions, uh, conservatism, liberals fighting, trying to gain hold of the younger generation is what it basically kind of boils down to. Um, but we're in a culture war. Uh, I'm, I said this two weeks ago, a me, me, me culture war. What's best for me? What's best for my opinions and my feelings? In the Christian realm, it can be seen as this is not what my God stands for. You see on Facebook probably or wherever, Twitter, Instagram, or you hear this online. This is not what my God would stand for. My God is this. This is what my God is. We see this everywhere in our society. It's me, me, me. What better way to explain things than by a story title entitled, Why This Sex Therapist Says You Should Have an Open Marriage. Reading from the New York Post. But before we get to that, uh, just one more, you know, kind of tidbit of information that I would like to throw at you. Um, and, and it's kind of a question, but what, where does culture play a role in politics? W- what's the most important for you? The face of the nation or your morals? I, we can see this a lot with uh, Trump and, you know, the conservatives who are either never Trumpers or the majority of, uh, I guess not conservatives, but Republicans as his... Uh, approval rating in the in the Republican Party is never really. I've never seen it below 93 percent. Um, but wh- where where's where do you draw the line? Because ultimately, politics is just a fancy word for saying you trying to convince others of your morals, your mora- morality, and that boils down to culture. But getting back into this story, I'm just going to pick it up at the beginning. So why this sex therapist says you should be in an open marriage, uh, published on March 9th, 2020 in the New York Post. Suzanne Wenzel had just stuffed a pile of dirty laundry into the washer when she discovered it wouldn't start. Wenzel knew her husband, Dennis, couldn't fix it, but she had someone else in mind, her lover, Richard. I told him what had happened, and he gladly offered to come over and help, Wenzel tells the Post. You see, Denise is a handyman at all. Is not a handyman at all, my bad. She explains what Richard, a handsome bar manager and single dad, is very handy indeed. After he fixed it, we all sat on the patio and drank cold beers and ate chicken salad together, Wenzel 40 recalls. I love the feeling of knowing that they both cared about me, and I cared about them as well. But Wenzel is no scheming adulteress. She's in a consensual, non-megamonous, open marriage with her husband. The unusual agreement allows them both to have sex and relationships with other people. She goes on to say, I am happier now than I have ever been, says Wenzel, a Canadian sex and relationship therapist and author of A Happy Life in an Open Relationship, The Essential Guide to a Healthy and Fulfilling Non-Megamonous Love Life. (laughs) Well, that's a long title for a book. Chronicle Books out Tuesday. Oh, apparently it's not been released yet. Throughout the how-to guide, the sexually liberated mother of two uses her personal experiences, names of her partners have been changed, interactions with clients and therapeutic exercises to help those who are curious about trying out the relationship style. Wow, I just love how throughout the how-to guide, the sexually liberated mother of two. Wow, so sexually liberated that you enter into what we would consider to be a relationship and a uh, high moral area of a relationship, such as a marriage, 
and you're being sexually liberated because you can have sex with more than just your marriage partner. In fact, Wenzel believes millions of people would improve and strengthen their marriages and relationships if they weren't so obsessed with being with one, with only one partner. For many of us, one partner cannot meet all of our needs, she writes. And this expectation that one person can is at least partly the reason why the Western world has such a high divorce rate. Uh, I would argue different. And this... Let me requote that. For many of us, one partner cannot meet all our needs. See the culture? Me, me, me. Not we, we, we. Not like PPP. We, we, we. As in we. Maybe I just lost all my uh, thought of a credibility. All right, but marriage is set up between two people. When you lose that intimacy, you lose the ability to connect in the way that marriage was intended to be. All right, and this isn't getting into some biblical debate. This is even what the, how the government views marriage. Let's look. Let's look at the benefits of being married in our society today. It, it's it's made to be between two people. Until eight years ago, Wenzel had never considered an open marriage, or that she may be sexually attracted to women. But being in an, in an open relationship allowed her to explore her bisexuality and seek out a female partner for the first time four years ago. I knew I was interested in women because I always liked watching lesbian porn, she says. So after chatting on Tinder, Wenzel invited her crush, Catherine, and Catherine's boyfriend over to the house. I'm going to uh, spare you all the uh, next paragraph or so because uh, it gets kind of graphic and I really don't want to uh, honestly talk about that on my show. Moving along. Wenzel wasn't always into extramarital hookups. The pair had dated for one year, uh, this is talking about her uh, current husband, and were living together in Winnipeg when Denise, who's a nonprofit executive director, first admitted that he wanted to have sex with other women. The revelation left her completely in shock. <laughs> well, yeah, I hope it is. I mean, if you're if someone that, you know, you pledge your life to, you pledge that you will become one with that person and that person alone comes up to you and says that, yeah, I would be in complete shock. Uh, <laughs> I felt like I was going to have a panic attack, she recalls. I felt dizzy and wandered. Am I dreaming? Heartbroken and defeated, Wenzel swiftly kicked Denny's out. I said, you have half an hour to get your uh, SHIT out of my house, she says. That's when the real work began. Wenzel switched into therapist mode and identified the root cause of her jealousy and abandonment issues. Her parents, who are from Kenya and practice polygamy. The idea of polygamy put a bad taste in my mouth, she says. I didn't think it was right for men to have multiple partners and women were not allowed or looked down upon for having multiple partners. Her parents were also business people who were constantly gone, she says. I always felt that, that, that they did not show up for me. During a therapy session a few months later, something clicked for Wenzel. I realize because of my fear of abandonment, I tend to control my relationships, she says. If I loved him, I had to accept who he was. I put the uh, this on pause, but it, it, it always dumbfounds me because I, I don't understand when someone reads, if you go on and look at the definition and read the definition of what love is defined at, you know, just look at the Merriam-Webster dictionary. What, what, how love is defined, where does that say that I, that, that you have to accept anything? 
I don't think that's what love. I think love is not necessarily accepting everything. Love is loving someone unconditionally. That's not. You don't have to accept something. I I would say. You don't have to accept everything and anything. All right. It, it, a marriage only works on compromise. All right. If I loved him, I had to accept who he was. No, you don't. You don't need to. If you see a, tra- a character fl- a trait, uh, a character flaw, wow, I need to read a book or something to give my uh, vocab back. But if you see a character flaw in your spouse, it is your duty to speak up and say something. You should not just go along. That's part of being married. That's that's why there's a difference between not dating anybody to dating somebody to getting married to somebody. Th- there's a difference. Society has created these differences for a reason. All right. And it's giving, there's ways out of, you know, talking to somebody, if that's what you're calling it, or I guess when my parents were younger, going steady with somebody, dating somebody. But then when you hit that marriage, no, there's, there's no way out of it, but it's not, you can't just sit back. Oh, I need to appease them. All right. They're right. All right. This is, this is them. Not saying that you uh, should change or change someone, but there has to be some compromise here. Ready to give an open relationship a try. The duo drafted a set of rules, including a safe sex condom contract, which Wenzel recommends doing in every open relationship. When I get married in a little over a year and a half, I will be sure to uh, use this condom contract. Other rules included a 2 a.m. curfew, a heads up about sleepovers. Oh, <laughs> sounds like fun, a sleepover. And if one of them is falling in love, they have to come clean. I think it's interesting to say and if one of them is falling in love. Why... why why is there an issue there? I mean, why can't you fall in love with somebody else? I thought this was an open open marriage. It's so funny to me because they put this in there. But then I guarantee you the same person who is, uh, I, I guess even Wenzel maybe themselves. Hey, maybe someday at the Heather Show. I'd love to have them on and debate this. But I love how they throw that if one of them is falling in love with another. All right. And if... This basically, in a way, says, yeah, if you have sex with somebody, you you do get feelings for them. You can't just have... There's no such thing as casual sex. There isn't. Try to change my mind, I guess. Even though parameters were set, Wenzel still had a hard time imagining Denise with other women. She says that at the peak of her jealousy, she snooped through his phone, emails, and Facebook, and texted one of his gal pals to get your own boyfriend. She accidentally, she also accidentally fell in love with her first admirer, Patrick. I like the name whom she had a lot in common with, including race. I'm going to skip through a little bit. Wenzel only recently came out to her son, 14 and daughter, 12 about the dynamic with Denise, who is their stepfather. My daughter was very understanding and said, Oh, that makes sense to me. Sometimes I like different boys at school. Wenzel says with a laugh. My son, on the other hand, doesn't like it and said, well, I'm not going to be in an open open relationship. And I said, that's absolutely okay. It's not for everybody. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad the uh, 14-year-old has some common sense. The thing that really I question, though, is where the comparison to her daughter saying that she likes different boys at school. Like, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I mean, everybody likes different people, but... I think you get married and, you know, you have to go to, you know, a court to, and you have to get someone to sign for the marriage document. I, th- I think 
you kind of sign away your, your love to one person and you only liking one person. Not that I uh, support divorce or anything, but I, I guess technically, you know, under the law, there is a way out of marriage. Then you can like anybody. But there's there's no... It's it doesn't it's that's like causation without correlation. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. You get what I'm saying? Skipping down to the end, it has a little section on here. How do you know if you're ready for an open relationship? Ooh, golly, let's see if I am repi- ready for an open re- relationship. Let's see if you are too. For those of you who are married, or maybe for those of you who are dating, if uh, you want to uh, see other people while also staying with your uh, significant other. All right, so there's four things that uh, the uh, author says. One is, the sex is meh. Second, you want more emotional support. You've got a wandering eye. And finally, you find secrets sexy. Wow. It's funny that at no point in this, there's there, there's no talk about we. It's me, 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 me. The sex is meh. Oh, I'm not enjoying having sex with my partner anymore. You want more emotional support. Me. I need more. Instead of maybe talking with your spouse. Hey, you're not doing very well at supporting me. Alright, we're dealing with this. I'm dealing with this. I need you to come closer to me. I need you to be there for me. Nope. You've got a wandering eye. Wow. Okay. Why don't we just give in to lust? It's not like it's one of the seven deadly sins. (laughs) Why don't we give in to pridefulness? Without getting into a moral discussion here, if you want to tackle tackle tackle, if you want to tackle this from a moral eye, and I'm not gonna sit here and do that. I don't really like talking about debating that over the air, because how are you to determine whose morals are right? You have your opinion, I can have my opinion. But if you were going to attack this from a moral opinion, it would be so easy to sit here and say more morally I don't understand what is going through the author's mind you find secrets sexy Ooh, I love cheating on my spouse <laughs> it really turns me on it's a shame truly a shame what are you supposed to do if your spouse doesn't want to do this though well I guess it's simple answer is just get a divorce and destroy the bond of marriage even further this is why this culture war matters. Some can say, oh, it's none of your opinion. Stay out of it. I mean, bottom line is I, I can't determine what you do. No. I mean, unless it's under the law that something is wrong, something illegal. No. But I have the right to speak. Because I think more out, morally, culturally, this is not, should not be accepted. So over the weekend at uh, one of Bernie Sanders rallies, uh, he had an, uh, an individual speak named Iman al-Hassan Kozwini. I'm probably butchering that. I apologize. Uh, but if you do not know who this man is, let's take a listen. When ISIS attacks non-Muslims, they immediately blame Islam for it. I have no doubt that ISIS is motivated by an agenda run by the enemies of Islam, by the enemies of Islam. And I want to bring this to your attention. ISIS has targeted people in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq, in Kuwait, in Saudi Arabia, 
in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, in Yemen, in Algeria. The only place, the only place that has been completely safe and has never been threatened by ISIS, nor it has been targeted, is Israel. What does this tell you? This speaks out. This speaks volumes that ISIS somehow is connected to Israel. Wow. That, that, that is a very hefty claim. To claim that ISIS is connected to, to Israel? <laughs> ISIS are cowards, terrorists, and most importantly, not related to the Israeli people. And this man spoke at a Bernie Sanders rally over the weekend. But will this be ever be talked about outside of a few conservative sources? No. This is similar to when Obama was seen at Louis Farrakhan. What happened about that? Do you even know who Louis Farrakhan is? Maybe look him up after the show. Alright, so something that uh, is constantly, we're being bombarded at the moment with the coronavirus on Facebook, on news. I, uh, I'm student teaching right now and I'm getting, you know, we, that's all the kids we want to talk about, which is great that kids are uh, involved with things, but I wanted to address a few stories surrounding the coronavirus. And first off, what was once a popular Mexican beer is now one of the most feared words in all of the world. Corona. It's like in Avengers when uh, they start, you know, Peter Parker starts going away, turning into dust. Corona. First off, when a situation such as this happens, it is key for the leaders of a nation to remain calm, but reassuring, or reassuring, reassuring. Uh, and, you know, I may come as a shock to you. I, uh, I've kind of been a little frustrated with how Trump has kind of come off and said some of the uh, the things that he said uh, about the coronavirus. And one example of this is uh, he tweeted out on March 9th. So last year, 37,000 Americans died from the common flu. It averages around 27,000 and 70,000 per year. Nothing is shut down. Life and the economy go on. At this moment, there are 546 confirmed cases of coronavirus with 22 deaths. Think about that. Actually, got a lot of likes on that, but, but, and 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 it's Trump's tweets, and I really don't think there's going to be much uh, that his tweeting will either help or hinder his chances of being reelected. Are, but I I don't like that he, he's trying to downplay necessarily what's going on. And actually, a few hours ago, the World Health Organization officially came out and said that uh, the the coronavirus is an epidemic. All right, but but him him comparing, you know, and saying, oh, there's only 22 deaths, you know, which is statistically accurate. But I I, I just think that he did not he does not do a good job at really. I mean, bottom line is 22 people are dead. It, it, you know, in, in America, I forget, I don't know what the number is at the moment. I think it's in the 30s now because this tweet is a few days old. But he needs to he doesn't need to downplay the coronavirus. Because it is spreading, and it's spreading fast outside the U.S. But and I and I know he's been on under, under constant attack. I don't know why the media has uh, turned weaponized this. You know, I think it means a lot for him to have Vice President Pence working so closely with this. I mean, he is the second most powerful person in the United States. 
Um, yes, he may not have a medical background, but it still shows the significance of what Trump has done and uh, how big of a deal he makes this. So, you know, I'm not saying that everything that he's done, uh, I think he's combating it fine. I just think he could come out like he can do a lot of things uh, better speaking wise and kind of assuring the public people that, you know, we will be okay. We will get through this. Something though that has really, really annoyed me. Um, and I saw a couple days ago on Twitter, actually, I think it was, what, yesterday, March 10th, uh, was the idea that it's racist to call this virus the Wuhan racist, or the Wuhan racist, the Wuhan virus. You know, this this started in the region of Wuhan in China. Um, but Kevin McCarthy, who is the uh, GOP leader in the House of Representatives, he is the minority whip in the House of Representatives, tweeted out, everything you need to know about the Chinese coronavirus can be found on one regularly updated website. Uh, and it's the CDC website, and it's kind of all the breaking news regarding the uh, coronavirus. Well, then, uh, my good buddy, uh, Ilhan Omar, representative from uh, Minnesota, uh, she tweets back and subtweets it, or whatever, quote tweets it, says, viruses don't have nationalities. This is racist. Kevin McCarthy, you're racist. I want to ask her though, what did she call the swine flu? What did she call Ebola? It comes from the Ebola River. What about does she, has she ever mentioned the West Nile virus? What about the Spanish flu? <laughs> what about the Zika virus? Started in the Zika forest. What about getting close to home Lyme disease from Lyme, Connecticut, back in the seventies, I believe. Is Lou Gehrig's disease prejudiced towards people with the name Lou Gehrig's? <laughs> this just shows you how unintelligently you can be by just saying everything is racist. It takes no intellectual ability to call somebody racist. This just shows how so many people on the left use this as a blanket term to throw at anybody who has the difference of an opinion. It's, it's really quite funny though. You know, this is racist, Kevin McCarthy. It's racist to call this the Chinese Wuhan coronavirus or whatever you want to call it. Well, how how do you how do you figure out a cure for a virus? Let me ask you a question. How, how do you do that? Do you think at any point in time someone would go back to the uh, area of originality and maybe study what's going on in that area? Maybe take some uh, samples of maybe some, uh, you know, the soil maybe. I don't know. But things that are, are in that region, I would say so, yeah. I mean, why did the Horth, or the Horth, the World Health Organization and the CDC ask the Chinese government to come in to Wuhan to help? Why would they want to go to Wuhan, the place where this started, where the epidemic started, to research, to try to find a cure? But... Let's say, for example, that we stop calling these, oh, it's going to just be called the coronavirus, which I don't call whatever. I'm not the one freaking out over this. But calling it the Wuhan virus, at least you know where the region that it came from and helps instead of calling it COIVD-19, oh, where did that originate from? Huh? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Another example of this, though, in the news actually over the weekend uh, is the... Uh, news story that Kamala Harris has recently openly supported Joe Biden uh, for the Democratic primary, the Democratic nominee for 
the president. This clip is from, I believe, the... It's the first Democratic debate, but it's the second night of the debate. If you remember, I think there were two nights. All of like the uh, more popular big namers had were on night two. It's kind of like a prelim final type of thing. All right, but take a listen for the next uh, minute and a half. In a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, the busing, I never, you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local. I should have said that they're talking about uh, integrated busing. If, the, if those of you who do not know uh, what he is talking about, look that up in the 80s and 90s, I believe, or at least, no, in the 80s. Yeah. ...decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But, but they, Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America? Then? No, do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I oppose. Well, I there was a oppose. failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was the second class to integrate Berkeley, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local that's decision. where the federal government must step the, in. The that's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA, because that, there are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of all people. I supported the ERA from the very beginning. When I I'm just going to end it there. Um, go back and look if you need a better explanation of exactly what they're debating. But basically, you know, Kamala Harris is treading along that line of, of if Joe Biden uh, has some voted and uh, supported some racist rhetoric and ra racist policies over the years but you know i just find it funny that you know she stresses this so much and oh i i uh, i'm a person of color um which i mean she is a strong candidate and she was leading you know for a few uh weeks maybe a month at least one of the leading candidates about a year ago and i mean look at her now uh but but wh wh why do you pander like wh where where's the line and, you know, it's not just Kamala Harris. I'm just attacking her because she was the first example of this. Um, it can be seen on both sides. But w do you think there's ever going to come a point where we, we don't have candidates doing this? Um, and, you know, I know that it's only having two big main parties in the U.S. It's hard and you need to stand on, I guess, as they look at it, on those party lines. And I think we could all do a better job of kind of not seeing the lines as two but as one. Um you know, there's not a whole lot of party lines that really get divided and voting over a party line. We saw, I guess, Mitt Romney uh, vote for the impeachment. He was one of the few, actually the only, I think, Republican who voted for the one article of the impeachment trial in the Senate. Uh, but you get the idea. So two more stories to cover quickly. One that I've, you know, I've been trying to bring this up in multiple episodes but i think now is a, an appropriate time to really talk about it like i said i'm not going to go that in deep or anything but uh for those of you who have the app tiktok uh it's a it's an app where you watch silly videos most of the time it started out as musically which was kind of like music video stuff and now it's kind of just a youtube for under a minute long type of thing 
Uh, but they have all these things called hype houses and which basically are channels on the app on the social media app that have conglomerates of people. And so there's like a lot of big influencers on TikTok who actually live at what is considered the TikTok hype house, which is a actual house. Um, but there's a lot of different TikTok channels that are like, Oh, we're the, we're the conservative hype house or we're the liberal hype house or we're the Republican hype house. Or we're just like the, we're going to eat dirt off a spoon hype house, <laughs> different types of hype houses. But I, I follow all the big political ones just cause I like to see what our, uh, our youth are thinking of. And I say that cautiously as I'm only 22 years old myself, but the, uh, the liberal hype house started selling and put together a a website titled give America morals again, instead of, you know, make America great again. It's give America morals again. Oh, I didn't even realize that they just switched the M and the G to the MAGA. It's gamma gamma. All right. But on here you can buy some things and it has like the gamma G A M A logo. And it says, you know, give America morals again. Um, and before I get into what I kind of want to talk about, that's on this website as kind of their, uh, like it's a titled article on it. The significance of the 2020 general election. Um, I've been wanting to say this for a while, but, and I know it's TikTok. It's a silly little app. Um, but it really concerns me because a lot of these kids, their arguments are terrible. And I know like my arguments, even to this day are not really sound and fluid. Um, but some of the things, it just sounds so stuck up. Um, and, and I think, can be worded a lot better and a lot different. That doesn't alienate the other half of the population. But what I'm about to say with this gamma is, you know, the same thing that basically was said about MAGA, uh, you know, and Oh, make America great again. How is America great? Why is it not still great? But I think there's a difference between gamma and MAGA. And what I mean by that is, it's a difference judging one's morality versus judging if something is great or not. You know, I I hope someday that at my funeral, I would love if people dis- would discuss how great I was versus how moral I was. I hope everyone would be, oh, Seth, you're a moral, you're, he was a moral character. He stood on his ground. He stood for his faith. He was, he, he was a high moral, or he was of a high moral character. I could care less about the greatness. You can sit here and discuss the greatness of anybody. But it, do you see what I'm, There's a difference. It's why, I, like I said, starting off the show, I don't really like to sit here and discuss morality that much because, you know, obviously the morality of this show is all centered around my beliefs. But if everyone has a different belief, your morality is not going to line up. And we can get a whole philosophical debate if you want, but not uh, for the time being. But getting back into reading a little bit of where... Uh, the G-A-M-A is coming from. The 2020 election represents an unprecedented opportunity in U.S. history to redirect the moral compass of America, which has gone so woefully off course. Unfortunately, lawlessness has run amok in an, in, an, in an administration where hubris is the norm and the rule of law is nowhere to be found. A precise correction is required to give America morals again. Of the 245 million Americans eligible to vote in the 2016 general election, 66 million voted for Democrats and 63 voted for Republicans. Over 100 100 million Americans stayed away from the polls. 
as a result of the consequential three-year debacle that has played out right before the very eyes of not only Americans, but also on the world stage, I can only imagine the level of defection the Republicans will incur in 2020. In my humble opinion, 25% of the GOP base will jump ship and vote Democrat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop the author right there. 25% of the GOP base will jump ship and vote Democrat. <laughs> I mentioned it earlier on the show. Trump's approval rating in the GOP has never really gone below 92, 93%. He's actually done very well in this aspect of kind of holding the, uh, you know, those mainline Republicans together. Notice how I say Republicans, not conservatives. Two differences. All right, but that 25, oh, if 25% of Republicans jump ship, oh yeah, Trump Trump has no chance of winning, he's over. No chance. Why don't you, why don't you just stop there? <laughs> I really think you can do your research better. Additionally, I predict that at least 20% of those who abstain from voting in the 2016 election will also participate in the process voting Democrat. Um, and you can kind of see right away here, just from the start, that I guarantee you this uh, author is is a Bernie bro. Or, and if it's if they are a uh, identify something else, then you get the picture. Um, but because this has been, and you know, my, my friend Jesse talks about this on my show, and I'm not trying to bash. Um, but you know, a big part of what Bernie Sanders was running on was that he was going to draw out the younger vote, and we honestly haven't seen it. We, if you look at the, the uh, polling numbers, there's not much of a difference between that younger, you know, 25 and below vote in most of these Democrat Democratic primaries that there were in 2016. You know, Bernie is destroying Biden with the younger vote, but in general, we're not coming out. My generation, Gen Zers that have uh, have the right to vote now and, you know, younger millennials haven't really come to the polls in any more dramatic numbers than anything before. The second group may be motivated by the higher taxes in 2019 and 2020, as well as pres- prescription drug price hikes. I would be hard-pressed to believe that any candidate, Republican or otherwise, could withstand a potential 75 to 85 million vote watershed, or that any serious attempt would be would be made to try and circumvent such an overwhelmingly or overwhelming outcome. The optics would be too obvious. Such a landslide would be unprecedented in U.S. politics. I mean, yes, it would be. <laughs> I, I the. There's no way this is going to come true. If this comes true, I will fully redact my statement on like Kamala Harris actually and you know the uh, allegations that she'd made against Biden about a year ago. I will totally redact my statement. You know, I will uh, eat a roll of toilet paper. Let's go with that. A Sanders-Gabbard ticket is what America needs. At 79 years of age, Senator Sanders may have only the capacity to serve one more term in office. Subsequently, to the positive impact of all of the reforms implemented by a Sanders administration, Gabbard would then be a shoe-in for an additional one or two terms. Eight to twelve years later, America elects their second female president, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for another two terms. After 20 years of good governance, Democrats would undoubtedly continue to vote in league with their party. Almost an entire generation would have experienced the fruit of the righteous whom when in authority, the people rejoice. You know, I love, I, I love when young people get involved and, you know, I'm young probably to 
I mean, the 80 some percent of the population probably, but I love when kids, cause this is obviously written by a kid. I would highly doubt somebody, you know, with a college degree would write uh, this. I mean, even though this writing is <laughs> quite honestly, probably better than what I could write. Um, but just the logic behind it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And it seems like someone who really doesn't actually even look at uh, what's going on in the news and polls. Not that, you know, polls are not always a hundred percent honest, but you know, I, you, you get, you, you get what I'm trying to say. Um, but you know, the problem I have with this though, and it's the same thing that I mentioned about MAGA. That's why I don't go floating around. Oh, MAGA, I'm a MAGA bro. Make America great again. The reason that I don't say that, not saying that I do not agree with the overarching message, but the the problem that you can have with saying MAGA or saying Gamma is it's so easy to, to combat. All right. So we, we need to, she starts off, like I said, we need to make America moral again. Because apparently this administration has been so much immoral than any other past administration. It's been so, you know, the culture over the last three years has been so much more immoral, immoral, whatever, than any other generation, than any any other three years. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, we we need to go back to our moral roots. Because that's something that even a conservative can say that America has not done the best on. But let's even look back three years ago. Is it moral for the Obama administration to make 17 blatantly false lies to get FISA warrants to spy on the Trump administration before he's even elected president? Not that it even matters if he's elected at that point, but is that moral? Is it moral to make the American public and feed the American public lies for over two years that Trump colluded with Russia? Is that moral? To lie without any sort of evidence? Huh. We could sit here and play this morality game forever, which is why I do not tend to sit here and combat it because it's so easily combative. You know, and there's really no difference between this and make America great again. I mean, I guess if you want something to uh, put on a hat, sell for 25 bucks, maybe cheaper than that if you uh, go to a uh, Trump rally or some uh, flea market, I really think, though, that they can do better. And whoever wrote this, uh, I hope that someday you see the uh, problem with this. And hopefully this is more than just a gimmick because you know people are going to buy this stuff and eat this stuff up. Finally, getting to the last little bit of the show for today. Oops, I did not pull it up. Uh, I was emailed by a buddy of mine, actually uh, one of my best friends who's really into technology and uh, I would love to, as uh, we get closer, he actually goes and attends Purdue university. Uh, I guess he is going to take, going to take online classes now because Purdue just recently decided that they will not be having in-person classes for the remainder of this semester, I believe. Uh, but I would love to do a show and talk more in depth about, you know, politics and technology, what kind of goes on with that. I think that'd be something cool to talk about that. I really don't, you know, think about often, but he, uh, he mentioned, hey, do you ever see any like techno- technological uh, politic or political uh, stories or articles? And so I just happened to come across one in the uh, Washington Examiner. 
and the love and time of coronavirus, Tinder being used to circumnavigate possible Chinese censorship of outbreak. Sounds interesting. I'll quote. People around the world are turning to an online dating app for coronavirus information from inside Wuhan, China, the epicenter center of the mysterious respiratory illness that has ripped through hospitals and supply chains around the world. The Chinese government's lack of transparency and top-down limiting of communication to the outside world has led to accusations of state-backed censorship of the virus's impact. In the past two months, several citizen journalists and medical professionals have been punished as a result of their attempts to warn the Chinese people about the global crisis. Now, people from Manhattan to Bangkok are utilizing a passport feature from the online dating app Tinder to gain access into the daily lives of Chinese citizens on the front lines of the outbreak. Tinder, one of the world's most widely used dating apps. <laughs> that's a funny way, dating apps. Yeah, because that's what Tinder is mainly used for. You know, I, I go to college. I'm not stupid. Features an upgraded gold membership, which allows users to move their phone's location to any spot in the world, including cities and areas in China that are known for their lack of ability to communicate with the outside world. Users from outside China are using the feature to ping into Chinese borders and get a better sense of what is really happening in cities that have been quarantined. A United States-based Twitter account, at Drellin, announced he was setting his location to Wuhan in late January so he could, quote, get the real scoop on what's going on. Another Twitter user on February 10th tweeted, I just bought Tinder Gold and set my location to Wuhan. The, uh, the article goes on even further, but, you know, it's just, it's just funny that, you know, a hookup app such as Tinder is being used to uh, portray, you know, possible information that uh, has to do with everyone who's living in the world and, you know, that can maybe, honestly, I don't know, help something or somebody find a cure or just push out information on the coronavirus. But, you know what, Connor, there is a, a way to get technology into the political realm. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to follow me on Twitter at sitting with Seth and feel free to email me. I would love to uh, get emails more often with uh, suggestions on materials, news stories, my opinions on any subject. It could literally just be, Oh, why do you uh, hate the color blue? I don't hate the color blue, but, or even ask for advice. I would love to uh, maybe give some advice. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but feel free to email me at sittingwithseth at gmail.com. Enjoy the rest of your week. Always remember, fear is a malleable weapon. Star Wars The Clone Wars. <laughs>